everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 380. And tonight, we are recapping the season or series finale of Good Omens. Oh my goodness, it better not be the series finale. Yeah, and isn't it amazing? What has it been like maybe a couple of months since this came out and we've already finished it? Amazing. It's crazy for us. Jeez. Giant spoiler warnings, obviously. We got to talk about everything. I'll tell you what, though. There were a couple things that I had kind of been spoiled for beforehand just because it's really hard to get on the internet with blinders on and miss every single thing. Right. So... Okay, so one of the storylines is Crowley with Muriel after he's kind of uh, manipulated her into taking him to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to write down a note here. Good heavens, David Tennant is a lanky man, isn't he? I yes, mean, no really shots is. of him walking across that white space. And you're just like, God, he's all leg. <laughs> it was also kind of adorable because then he, she thought... She was so worried she's going to get in trouble. And he went ahead and changed his appearance to look like an angel. Oh, he looked great. And he kind of does the little tiptoeing thing as he's walking behind her. So I thought that was cute. But she takes him into the records room and she has a file about Gabriel, but she can't get into it because she's not high ranking enough. So he just reaches in and gets it. And she looked so startled. And he said, I haven't always been a demon, and they never changed their passwords. And I thought, well, that's Aww. both of those things is just so believable that heaven it was would so cool. have gone millennia without changing their freaking security passwords. Oh, yes. And the music, right when he did that, when he like opened that up and everything, the music changed at that moment. I was like, oh, that was cool. The whole scene was just really neat. <laughs> so what they're looking at is this big discussion between a bunch of the angels, including Gabriel, and they're talking about the plans for the next Armageddon. And Gabriel, out of nowhere, is just like, nah. They're like, what do you mean, nah? He just does not want to have another Armageddon, but he's not explaining why. He's not trying to pretend. He's not trying to influence them somehow. He's just saying, no, I'm just not feeling it. And that's it. And he's just not open for any other discussion. Nope, nope. And of course, we noticed that one of the angels in the discussion was the guy who played the master in Doctor Who. Ah, Derek Jacoby. He brings the class. He really does. So, so classy. Now, while all this is going on, lest you forget, Aziraphale's bookstore is under siege by all the demons. And at one point, he does this really cool effect with his halo. Like, he's, like, trying to pry something off of his head, and he, like, pulls the halo off and tosses it down and it just kind of explodes and everything. And I was like, that looked really badass. It did. But before then, I thought it was hilarious that Drax's legion of demons was being held at bay with fire extinguishers and throwing books at them. So that's yeah. not exactly the full-on attack that I think that Drax was going for. Yeah, I had a little note that I wrote down. Uh, not sure why the fire extinguishers are working, but okay, that's fine. So probably just to show how truly pathetic they are. Yeah, and Drax actually tried to bully Maggie into backing off and... Maggie just thinks that she's pathetic and one of the demons like sticks his tongue out and like it goes about five feet into the air and slaps on the window and she said I have brothers you can't scare me by making faces but Drax tells her how pitiful she is in every way and that she's never going to be loved and Maggie says you're so pitiful why don't you come in here and say that and my notes say Maggie no but that was the invitation that they were waiting for so that was what led to the whole attack but yeah they had demons getting blasted by some weird sigil thing that um, Aziraphale had on his floor 
a lot of fighting, but I can't remember. How did the fighting stop? Was it just when Crowley showed back up or when the other, or when, oh no, I remember, Aziraphale throwing his halo at him and making him explode was an act of war. That's right, exactly. And uh, pretty much all the alarms start going off in heaven at that point. And I believe that's the moment when Crowley uh, comes back to earth. And he gets, he's walking by the window in time to see Aziraphale yelling at people. And you see him give like this very approving kind of like look on his face. And he loves it when Aziraphale gets tough. <laughs> so you've got the angels showing up and the lords of hell, and they are all ready to go at it until Gabriel steps forward. And God, now I've, I've completely lost the thread of how the conversation got started between him and Beelzebub. That's exactly what I have in my notes, too, because I was writing about. So we go to a scene where Gabriel's talking to Beelzebub, and it's kind of like, after the first apocalypse. And they're discussing the fact eventually after meeting in a pub, I suppose, that they just don't really want to have another apocalypse. They're just gonna, I don't know, keep things the status quo, I suppose. But basically, we see them over time develop this relationship. Now, I was kind of thinking at this point, I wasn't sure what I thought about this, because the actress who played Beelzebub is different from in the first season. And I thought, okay, did they, is this the reason why the actress was changed? Like, was the first actress like way too young and it would have been creepy to have Gabriel in a relationship with her? Or was the first actress just not traditionally quote unquote pretty enough and they had to change it to an actress who was like more a romantic interest? No, first actress had a scheduling conflict. So that's why they changed it. Also, the first actress is plenty old enough and also very pretty. So it's just one of those things. It just seemed at that moment, like the casting change had been done specifically for this storyline. But I guess not. No. And I the thing that I was a little confused about every time you've seen Beelzebub before, she's got kind of like her mouth is incredibly rotting and flies yeah. are coming out of her mouth and she, she looks like her face is falling off sort of. But then she's meeting up with Gabriel in the human world and she's just conventionally pretty. Mm. And I guess if this had been a book, Damien and Terry Pratchett probably could have pulled it off with Gabriel sort of falling for Beelzebub in spite of how she looks because yeah. they're a demon and an angel. They have no concept of like human beauty. Beelzebub had to explain to Gabriel what music was at one point, the noises that they were hearing, which of course is why that one song keeps playing over and over again in that pub because they both decided they liked it. So he did a little miracle to make sure that it was always playing, which oh, God, I, I wanted somebody to go back and like cancel that miracle out because I cannot imagine a worse punishment than having to listen Ugh. to the same song in the pub forever. Oh God. Now I do think I remember now how we got there. So Gabriel, he ends up getting his memories back. What happened was in that big meeting, they decide to, he's not playing fair. I guess he's been consorting with the demon or whatever. So they're going to demote him. And he's like, okay, fine. Can I keep my clothes? And they're like, no, you can't keep your clothes. He's like, okay, I'll go back to my office and take off my clothes and clear out my desk. And they're sitting there as he leaves. They're like, he has an office? But you see him walking along at one point, right? Mm -hmm. And he's completely stripped off all his clothes, just like we saw him at the beginning of the season. And he's got a box with him. And he kind of like stumbles with it at one point and then picks himself up and goes out of the elevator. They didn't realize that he was running away at that point. They thought he was going to come back. But what it turns out was what he he was writing something on the lid of the box to make sure 
that he left a message for himself, and it says it's in the fly. And a fly is in that little matchbox, and it comes out and it goes straight into his eye, and that's how he gets all his memories back. And that was when he did that little miracle to make that song play forever in that pub, Beelzebub wanted to give him something. So she gives him a fly, but it's a storage fly. It can, it's bigger on the inside. That had to have been it a Doctor Who reference, I think. Had to have been. Yeah. Had to have been. So that he could just keep something in it. And she goes ahead and dumps out a box of matches and puts the fly in the box. And yep. he's touched. And I liked the softer side of Beelzebub talking with flies because she honestly seemed to care about them and think that they were just beautiful. So, yeah, all of it is very sweet. All feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, we've yeah. got one episode of a relationship developing, and that was enough for both Gabriel and Beelzebub to decide that they are happy with leaving Earth forever as long as they can mm-hmm. be together. Yep, yep, because that's end- that's what happens. Um, I forget who decided on that. Oh, I know, because so the guy who, uh, what's his name, who had played the master in... Um, oh, Derek Jacoby. Derek Jacoby. Now, he was at the coffee shop while a lot of this discussion was going on, right? Mm -hmm. Talking to Nina, who had gone back to her coffee shop to serve the customers and everything, even though she was a little late and hadn't had any sleep in like 30 hours. And Maggie actually comes over there to help her out for a little bit too, which is freaking adorable. Mm -hmm. But he was talking to her and he's looking at the sign of the coffee shop, you know, uh, give me coffee or give me death. And he just asked at one point, he's like, does anyone ever ask for death? And I was like, oh, that was creepy. (laughs) So he comes back into the store while everybody's talking and he kind of like stops the conversation and they're like, who the hell are you? And it turns out it's Metatron and he's definitely way more in charge. One of the reasons why he'd come in was that Michael was declaring herself in charge and he was like, absolutely not. You're not in charge. So he's really way more higher ranking. So he stops a lot of the conversations going on. Is he the one who offers to Gabriel and Beelzebub that maybe they could go someplace else? I think that was what everyone just agreed with. And I think Drax was, she had the biggest problem because of course, Beelzebub is a traitor now. But Mm. if she leaves, that means that Drax can now become one of the Dukes of Hell. So she was perfectly fine with that. It all seems to be working out. I don't know that we even see Gabriel and Beelzebub leave. They just, they're standing there in the corner of Aziraphale's bookshop singing to each other. And it's, yes, it's rather cute. It is very cute, but they do sort of fade away at that point. Yeah, and it, that was it. That was the whole of the storyline that he and Beelzebub fell in love. And that meant that they weren't going to cooperate with any more Armageddon. And that was what caused him. They wanted, Heaven wanted to find Gabriel because they needed to officially fire him. And part of that was taking his memories away. He would be demoted to, I think, some administrative angel level 38. And Muriel, oh, it's so cute. Muriel hears that and she says, oh, that's not too bad. I'm level 37. I didn't know there was a level below mine. And I just... Crowley just gives her a little fist bump on her shoulder, like, good for you. It's so cute. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, yeah, at this point, the demons are happy. Gabriel and Beelzebub have left. Uh, Maggie and Nina are, I don't know, enjoying themselves, uh, having a fun time at the store, I suppose. And Metatron wants to talk to Aziraphale privately. And so they walk out of the store. And it's so cute because Crowley is like, touching up the store. He's like, you know, putting everything back together, putting the rugs down. I'm like, oh, it's so domestic. And Maggie and Nina actually close up the shop for a second. And 
they need to go and talk to Crowley. And they're like, well, so where's where's your partner or whatever? He's like, oh, it's not my partner, whatever. And they sit him down and they tell him that what they've been doing with the two of them is really manipulative and not cool. You know, it's like Nina just got out of a relationship and she does not want to do like a big old rebound. And it's, I don't know, it's it's lovely, it's respectful, but it's sort of like saying like, sure, something would be nice to happen, but it was going to happen in its own time. And I just, I love the entire conversation. Yeah, Nina says that, you know, if I'm ready, I would love to try to have something with Maggie, but there's no guarantee that she's still going to be there. And Maggie says, I'll still be there. You're not helping, Angel. I know. <laughs> so but cute. They also want to talk with him about the fact that there's obviously something going on between Aziraphale and Crowley, and Crowley needs to tell Aziraphale how he feels. And I think Crowley yes. is very resistant, super resistant, probably because he knows they're right. Yep. Yep. Now, at one point, um, you see Metatron goes up to talk to Muriel, who had actually, you know, he they sort of like chased her out of the bookstore, but she asked if she could take a book with her. I haven't looked this up. She was reading a book called The Crow Road, and it was the same book that Gabriel had been reading at one point. And I, I made a note of it earlier because I thought, I wonder if it's significant. And then now I'm sure it is. But do you know anything about nope, it? Not a thing. Never heard of it. All right. Pause for one moment. Okay, so I found on Screen Rant, uh, it's a much longer article than we're going to get into here, but it says that one, The Crow Road by Ian Banks, Ian Banks is a friend of Neil Gaiman and director and producer Douglas McKinnon. So that's one reason why I was there. But they also say that there's a lot of thematic links to Good Omens and little similarities going on there. And the time when we saw it was when Gabriel was sorting all the books by the first letter of the first word right, of the book and yes. everything. This was the one where the first line is, it was the day my grandmother exploded. And I'm like, well, that certainly makes me want to read more. It does. Sounds very whimsical. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, that's what she's reading when Metatron comes by. And I guess in the end, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's more conversation to come. So we see Aziraphale looking delighted at what he's been offered by Metatron. So he comes in and he's trying to tell Crowley what's happening. And Crowley is trying to get out what he wants to say about their relationship. But Aziraphale tells him to hold that thought. Metatron has offered Gabriel's position to Aziraphale to make Aziraphale the angel in charge so that he could make all the decisions. And Aziraphale is just, he's so enthusiastic about the idea of being able to make a difference. And he wants to do it with Crowley. He wants, he's been given permission to reinstate Crowley as an angel to be his second in command so that they can be together in heaven and make an actual difference. And Crowley is appalled. Oh, he just, the look on his face the whole time. I mean, just David Tennant has the most expressive face. And even when he's wearing the dark glasses or not wearing the dark glasses, but he says, and you told them just where they could stick that, right? And that's when you see Aziraphale's face just start to fall and the music kicks in at that point. It's so ominous. I mean, just at that moment, both of their hearts have to be breaking. Because Crowley, he's what he has wanted to tell Aziraphale is that they have been obviously working together for so many years and they could continue to do that anywhere. They could just go. They could just leave and just have what they have forever. 
but it's, I mean, I wrote this note here, you both want different things, but you want them as you are both together. Work it out, but yeah. it is not to be because, I, and I kind of see Crowley's side a little bit more than Aziraphale's side because- I think I do too. Aziraphale- the reason why he thinks Crowley would be okay with going to heaven is because that they're the good guys and hell is the bad guys. And yeah, it's like, why? Yes. Hell tortures people for all eternity, but then you've got heaven and the whole situation with Job. And then you've got Aziraphale trying to tell some starving poor person that they're closer to heaven if they just continue being poor. And uh, Crowley's just, and I, all of this started with Crowley being told that all of the work that he put into making this beautiful star field is going to be gone because that's in like 6,000 years because heaven's just going to decide, well, it was only here for show. So he's just, he knows that heaven, what was the the one line that he tells Aziraphale that if heaven destroys everything, it's going to be just as destroyed as if hell did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Crowley at one point tells Aziraphale, he's like, you can't leave this bookstore. And Aziraphale just just gives this little sigh. He's like, oh, Crowley, nothing lasts forever. And it's just like, oh, my heart. Ugh. I mean, that scene just, man alive, that scene really got to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we have the biggest development. Of course, Crowley is just telling him good luck. And Aziraphale cannot believe that Crowley is walking out the door. And Crowley tells him, listen, do you hear that? No nightingales, which is the symbol for everything being good in the world at the end of the previous book. That's right. So, and he's just, we could have had, we could have been together. We could have had everything. And then he runs forward and plants a kiss on Aziraphale. And I could not believe they actually did that. I mean, the whole subtext between the two of them is no longer subtext. Nope, it's not. I mean, it was just like, and it was like a good long, like, it's not like a makey-outy kiss, you know, it was like, but it was a good, solid kiss, like no misunderstandings at all. And then they break off the kiss and you see Aziraphale and he just looks shocked. And then he just says, I forgive you. And I was like... Oh, worst thing you could say. Oh, and Crowley says, don't bother. And he leaves. And that was it. Oh, my God. So you see Crowley standing by his car, watching as Metatron and Aziraphale get into the elevator. And he's just watching the doors close. And then we go to the credits after Crowley gets in his car. And for like the first half of the credits, it's just focusing on their faces just as they're just standing there and the two of them just emoting like crazy just very quiet it's not like overacted at all but it's just looking straight at their faces and it will tear your heart out yes i mean aziraphale especially because he was michael sheen is just you can see his face going from trying to be enthusiastic about his new position, being worried about what the new position entails, being absolutely heartbroken that he has yeah. now lost Crowley and then trying to put a brave face on it. And you see all of that go through. And I think the thing that gives me hope that this is not the end is what Metatron tells uh, Aziraphale is the big project that they're working on, that he's going to need Aziraphale to coordinate we call it the second coming. <laughs> My notes here, eep. Yeah, oh yeah, big eep. <sighs> and what I was going to say, and I know we're, we're taking all this out of order because we just watched this yesterday and there was so much going on in this one episode. I'm kind of getting the order all jumbled. 
But Metatron did actually turn over the bookstore to uh, Muriel, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that'll that'll be kind of cute. I mean, she'll certainly she'll fit in very well with Maggie. I think Nina might get very irritated with her, but she certainly seems like more of a Maggie type of person. Yeah, yeah, and you could. St- you could really tell that Aziraphale leaving the bookstore broke his heart almost as much as Crowley leaving. I mean, he's looking around, looking just wistful at the idea that he's not going to be coming back. And Oh, God. It's really, yeah. It's just, I really hope they get a third season. I, I mean, do obviously too. nothing's been, I don't think, I don't think it's been greenlit yet. I mean, the stupid strike. Well, I don't say it's stupid. I don't say it's stupid because the strikers are striking. I think they are. I am absolutely on their side. I'm saying that the, uh, 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 studios need to play ball, which apparently there's a tentative agreement in place. There's a, an agreement for the writers. I don't think there's been an agreement for the actors. So that whole suggestion about actors being paid to have their image digitized, which the production companies mm. could then use for free forever, yeah. that may still be on the table. I don't mm. know. but blah, blah. Yeah, but I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Now, have you... Um, have you seen a lot of blowback about the the kiss between the two of them? I mean... No, and that was actually the thing that I was slightly spoiled for. I had kind of seen some people talking around the edges of it. I'm like, oh, I think we might actually get a kiss. And then we did. But no, I have not. And I didn't go looking for it either. You know, even after watching it last night, I, I stayed off of Twitter because I didn't want somebody to harsh my buzz with that one. Right. Yeah, I haven't looked at it either. And I get the idea if anybody knows... Neil Gaiman and has followed any of their works, they know this is not the place to go to find nothing but, you know, heterosexuality and a religious alignment with the Bible. That's, that's yeah. We're going to be pushing all the buttons. Now, I wonder exactly, because I haven't gone to check his feed at all lately. I know that part of the strike means you can't promote works. That's one of the main reasons why the writers and people and creators, whatever, didn't go to Comic-Con this year because they couldn't talk about anything. I liked how Misha Collins, who played, um, help me out here, the angel in Supernatural. Castiel. Oh, God, I couldn't believe why that name was completely gone. (laughs) He had posted because it was like, oh, my God, like the 13-year anniversary. No, it had to have been more than that. Oh, my God, hang on. Holy crap, on a stick, it's the 18-year anniversary of Supernatural first coming out. My God. So he just posted something on Instagram just saying, you know, it's been 18 years since I met this guy. And he had posted a picture of Castiel sort of looking up, but there's big black boxes going over both the wings. So he never actually mentioned Supernatural or anything because he was like, this is a strike-approved post. So you can't really talk about stuff, the projects that you've been in or are promoting and everything. So I imagine Neil Gaiman's probably not saying much of anything right now. Maybe, maybe it'll be opened up soon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wonder, because of course, Good Omens started with a book, which was adapted Mm -hmm. to a TV show. So now we've had the second season of the TV show. Do you suppose there'll be a book? Oh, that'd be, because, I mean... Maybe they do novelizations of movies all the time. Why wouldn't they do a novelization of a, that was of a started TV from show? A, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm I'm up for that. Yeah. That's all for Good Omens until we get a little more information. But uh, I believe you watched both um, Mandalorian and a horror movie this week. Yes. Okay. So. The Mandalorian. I don't even know how much I can say about it because I don't want to spoil anything. I came at this completely unspoiled for everything. But it's just... uh, 
What I want out of a Star Wars TV show is what The Mandalorian does. It is the familiar stuff, but seen in a new way, or maybe exploring a little bit further, or things like, you know, uh, uh, the, remember the Interceptors? It was the, uh, the ship that Darth Vader was flying at the end yes. of Star Wars, the first Star Wars yes. movie. Like an yeah. entire fleet of them releasing themselves from their storage area in a hangar and launching out into battle. And I'm just going, oh my god, this is awesome! You know, just Yay. all sorts of things, little callbacks. We saw mouse droids in the uh, uh, last episode, and they're all as adorable. <laughs> yeah, exactly that sound, too. I mean, they know oh, that's nice. what everybody really remembers. Like, when they did the TIE Fighters in that one episode, oh, yeah. and getting to hear that. Oh, yeah. But it's just the story I thought was great. Um, there is a lot of scenery chewing in places. I think you might, mm. your, your complaint about the uh, uh, end of season two, it was like comic book writing. Kind of. I think there's more of that. I think it kind of mm. goes to the feel of Star Wars. But I'm, I'm not kidding here. There was a moment that happened in the last episode that was so cool. I almost thought I was going to cry. It was, Oh oh goodness. And they, they stuck the landing. I don't know if they have um, plans for doing more episodes, more seasons, maybe. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I always keep going back to that about, you know, the, Onion article about Pedro Pascal hospitalized from back strain from having to carry the entire Star Wars franchise. God, between that and, oh God, what was the video game TV show that he did with the zombies? Um, crap. Man, I've looked it up a lot in this episode. I cannot remember names to save my life. The Last of Us. God, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I mean, that's they started calling him like the Internet Daddy or something. Internet I mean, Daddy. Yep, like, I've heard that. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> he's, his star is quite high right now. So I would, well, I'm glad that he survived being the bad guy from uh, the Wonder Woman, uh, what is it, 1989? 1984. 84. No, I don't like, like we really care. Yeah, he was the main bad no. guy in that. And everyone was like, why would you cast him in something like that and not actually use his strengths because it it was all scenery chewing so but yeah you need to watch it i think you'll like it i haven't decided if i want to go for andor next because i understand that's a bit of a downer um yeah i mean it's not like it's definitely not the most depressing show that you've ever seen it doesn't hold a candle to the worst episodes of the walking dead oh okay well that's good yeah seriously this, there is just a lot to recommend for that one. Just for the fact that they don't do any fan service is pretty kind of interesting. But yeah, a bit harsh if you want a, something, a feel-good something, maybe something different. <laughs> so then you also watched a horror movie. Yes, we have heard when talking about Unfriended, people have been comparing it to the movie Host which came out in the middle of the pandemic, actually, which I may have realized at some point. So I finally decided to watch that. Yes, that is a good movie. That is a good horror movie. I think you in particular are going to enjoy it simply nice. because of jump scares. Oh, love me some jump scares. <laughs> but I don't know that it's fair to compare it to Unfriended. I think it's scarier, but it's a little bit more of, I mean, none of it's realistic, but it's a bunch of friends who have gotten together over Zoom to hold a seance and things go wrong and now there's stuff in their houses. Oh. And that's it feels like it's a little bit closer to reality than what Unfriended did. And there are also some little like, you know, callbacks to uh the pandemic, you know, wearing masks, you know, touching elbows instead. Yes. But 
there's funny bits like a drinking game at one point that I think you'll enjoy and just how everybody reacts on Zoom. But I feel like host is sort of a moment in time, whereas unfriended is this was these characters' entire lives getting splashed out on a Skype call. And there yes. was something a lot more epic about that. And there was like all sorts of things talking about bullying and the cyclical nature of bullying and friendships and betrayal and how people can do horrible things but be sort of justifying it to themselves that they're not really horrible people, that kind of thing. So... I think host was much simpler, but really effective. Okay. And I think they did it really well, too. Good, good. I've been looking forward to watching that one. Plus, you know, the weather's finally, it's San Diego, it's, it's fall tends to be a little more subtle out here, but it's finally <laughs> starting to feel like fall. And I'm like, now is the time I start watching horror movies. Yes, yes. But I guess that'll wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. We had the latest issue of Saga, and unfortunately, we did not get to hear what's happening with the will um Oof. we also got to find out that they are on hiatus again so yay I, I wonder if we're starting to finally see some pushback to this relentless schedule that artists and creatives have to do with comic books because i i don't want them to be burnt out i want to no. en- i want to enjoy the content without worrying about them suffering over it yes yes and the fact that I mean, my God, Laura Olympus is the most like the most popular webcomic around right now. And she is perfectly comfortable with being like, yep, it's hiatus time. I'm going to be out of here. And we're like, and and she's got staff to help her with a lot of the artwork. And she still needs to take a little bit of time so she doesn't burn herself out completely. I'm okay with that. I mean, we've we've had like monthly comics have been a thing since I don't even know how long. It doesn't have to be that way. No. We're always like convincing ourselves, well, it's got to come out every month. I, you know, I think every six weeks, every two months, you know, apparently Saga saying that they want to make sure they put out at least six comics a year or so. And look at how good it is. Oh, you know? it's so amazing. It is so worth the time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, as soon as that comes back, we'll have more of those reviews, all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So next week we will have a Night Vale episode, uh-huh. I believe. I think so. Will we? Yeah, we will. It's the 25th today as we're recording. Yeah. Sorry, I pulled back the curtain there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think the first is on a Sunday, so we could even yes. record it a day earlier than we usually do. That'd be nice. And I'm sure something else will come along. Maybe I'll actually catch up on some of the Mandalorian episodes. Maybe mm. I won't. I'm not promising anything. Start with Boba Fett. Yes. One way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. <laughs>
my words are completely gone this evening. And he was actually talking to Maggie, who had gone back to her coffee shop. No, not Maggie. Nina. Nina. Thank you. He'd actually gone to the coffee shop. Mm. I'll, I'll cut out all of this. Obviously. That's fine. That's fine. You're doing the edit this week, right? Yep. <laughs>